Hey everyone, I'm Brian Treadaway, the pastor at Vertical Church. It's our desire here to lift him up and live him out. We hope today's broadcast will inspire you to do the same. So enjoy today's message. Glad you're here today at Vertical Church. We're excited about what God's going to do in our presence today. You might have noticed when you came in today something different at the back of the room, right? That's crazy. This is our new tech booth. And man, there's a lot happening back there that you may not even know about. So they're running sound back there and lights back there. They're also taking care of the media that we that helps us every Sunday. But we also have our camera team back there, our video switchers, and our online communications team. We're, there's some folks watching us right now that are beyond these doors today. So we're excited that we get to make a difference in people's lives beyond just Vertical Church. Amen? Yeah. So we're grateful to all those that have helped provide that. Amen? And uh, a welcome to our online viewers today. It's great. So, uh, man, we're in the middle of our uh, Seeing Red series. We've been talking about how to overcome devastating anger in our life. I want to start this morning by uh, talking about something that we might not have seen for a while in the news, but used to be kind of a a regular event, and it was watching a shuttle blast off, right? Has anybody ever been there to watch one of the shuttles take off? You know, for the liftoff? Yeah, okay, there's a few. Awesome. I hear that, or, or if you're old like me, watching some of the Saturn V rockets, you know, blast off, that, man, there's nothing like that experience of seeing them lift off and to feel the power and the, the almost concussion of force that comes from the liftoff of something like that. I read that the, uh, the space shuttle takes 16 million horsepower to lift off the ground. That's a lot. I can't even fathom that. That's just a number out there to me. It just seems so overwhelming. And, of course, if you've watched, you've seen those massive engines. You've seen this external giant fuel tank that uh, is 158 feet long. That's long. This building might be 100, so you just have to kind of take it out further than that. Empty, it weighs 78,000 pounds. It holds 1.6 million pounds of propellant that choose to cause it to lift off the ground. Man, those massive engines and that massive amount of fuel. What's fascinating to me is it still takes something to start it. You can have this massive engine, massive rocket incredible amounts of fuel that we can't even begin to fathom and they say it comes down really to something that looks a lot like one of these a spark plug Isn't it crazy something that big something that powerful if you trace it all the way down it involves a starting process with something like a spark plug Spark plugs are used in your car. They're used in your lawnmowers, if you have a gas-operated one, not one of these fancy new electric ones. And it begins with a jolt of energy that comes to the spark plug, and it produces a tiny, tiny spark. But it's all that's needed to ignite whatever propellant is used. And once it's ignited, it goes. And it starts with just the smallest of spark in between two tiny little elements here. A spark you can almost not even recognize. This 
It's where it begins. Massive movement, massive equipment moved by a tiny spark. You know, God uses some things in our life like this to get us sparked, to get us moving, to follow his lead, to cause something bigger to happen. One of those things that he will use in your life and my life is actually anger. Huh. Now, up to this point, we've been talking about anger from the negative standpoint. We've been talking about what, it, what happens whenever we are self-consumed and self-absorbed and anger takes over. And we get angry about petty stuff. We'll talk more about that later. But we've been talking about anger like that up to this point. But there's a verse in Scripture in the New Testament that says, Be angry and do not sin. That's our call. There are going to be times when it is actually right and good to be angry. But in that anger, do not sin. And in fact, Ephesians gives us a little bit more instruction. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Whenever the spark happens, make sure you follow through with what God has led you to do. Don't let it sit. Don't wait. Follow through on it. And you'll see God's spirit work. So today I want us to talk about what it means to have good anger. Good anger. It's okay at times to be angry. In fact, if you're walking with the Lord, there's going to be times that you are going to be in your sweetest fellowship with him. In your closest communion with him, you are going to experience some anger. And at times, it will be exactly the right thing because God will have orchestrated it and caused it. So let's make a few points today. Let me start with a big one. This is my big point today that I hope you walk away with. It's this. Good anger ignites a passion to action for the glory of God. Now, if you want to follow through today and take some notes, you want to use your phone, take some pictures of screen, you are more than welcome to do that. That's not going to bother me a bit. There will be good anger that comes into your life, and it's important to know how to recognize it because good anger will drive you to some action. It'll drive you to do something. It'll drive you to follow through. It'll drive you to act on what God has put in your heart, and good anger shouldn't be contained. It shouldn't be repressed. It shouldn't be held down. It will be filled with self-control. It will be based on love for others, but it will act on what God has begun. He will ignite the spark and he intends for us to follow through. Sometimes that passion to action will include repenting of some sin. Where you reach that place where you say, I I just, I'm done with this. I can't, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm tired of what it's doing to my life. I'm tired of what it's doing to others. I must repent of this sin. It may be that it has ignited you to reconcile a relationship. Where you say, man, it has... It's gone too far, too long. There's too much pain. There's distance. I've got to do something. I've got to reconcile. I've got to see God restore it. It might be that this action is driving you to have a difficult conversation with somebody. That's hard, isn't it? Be able to sit down with somebody and have a difficult conversation. The one where you're either vulnerable yourself or you're having to help them see where they need to be vulnerable. Maybe it's an action to forgive someone 
Maybe it's a call to follow God. Today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture, and we're going to see how to be ignited with good anger. You know, you and I weren't meant to live soft, passive, placid lives. We weren't meant to live always seeking what's comfortable and what's easy. We weren't meant to just play it safe and stand back. You and I were called in Christ even to live out there on the edge, following God, trusting him, doing what he calls, sacrificing where we need to, and standing for his glory. Amen? That's what we're called to. And sometimes that will involve some risk. Sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll get you going. You'll get lit. You'll get filled with passion. And you, you won't be able to sleep at night. You won't be able to sleep in the morning. You've got to get up. You've got to think about it. You've got to do something. And you can't just sit comfortable anymore. You've got to follow God. This is passion he lights inside of you. Today we're going to talk about how good anger helps us do that. We're going to look at a story today from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So turn to your Bibles there with me. John chapter 2, 13 through 17. We're going to see a story that happens early on in Jesus' ministry. It's a story where Jesus himself is going to get lit. I mean, his spark plug is going to go. And he's going to blow. And he's going to make something happen that you might think is uncharacteristic for him. He's going to demonstrate some good anger. He's going to show us how we can have good anger and what ought to be done about it. John chapter 2, if you've uh, been around the faith for some time and around scripture, you know this is referred to as the cleansing of the temple. Now, each one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record an event where Jesus cleanses the temple. If you read it in Matthew and Mark and Luke... They all tell the story of it happening near the end of Jesus' life. They tell it happening after he's had the triumphal entry and before he goes to the cross near the end of his ministry. But John tells it in another story. He tells it happening at the beginning of Jesus' life. This is not a contradiction in Scripture. These are two different stories. It happens twice in the life of Jesus where he cleanses the temple, where the spark plug goes off and he has to act. It happens at the beginning of his ministry. It happens near the end of his ministry. It's almost as though they were the bookends. They were the pillars. They were part of the markers that said, look, folks, this is part of why I'm here. I have to take a stand. I have to do this. I can't live safe. I can't live comfortable. I'm not here to do my business. I'm here to do the Father's business. And what he has shown me, I do. John chapter 2, he tells the story. It says this in verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Passover was a big deal for those who were Jews in the day. The Passover was the time you gathered in Jerusalem. The Passover was the time you gathered for this annual feast of worship. The Passover was the time that you remembered what God had done in delivering his people from Egypt. And they remembered the time that the death angel passed over them because they applied the blood to the door. It was the Passover celebration that had continued. And every year they went to Jerusalem to worship. And Jesus, a Jew joins them in the process. It's the time of Passover. It's celebration. Everyone's making their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus joins them. 
It really kind of brings us to our first point here today. If you want to have good anger ignited in your heart, you want to be able to know good anger from bad anger, here's the first thing. Have a heart surrendered to worship and glorify God. This is where it starts. You'll be able to know the, know the difference between good anger and bad anger. Then you're going to need to have your heart fully surrendered to God and worship of him. If you're living your life for yourself, if you're living your life so that you get the glory, so that you're the most important, so that you're on the throne, your comfort, your way, your preferences, if that's what it's all about, I can already tell you what's happening in your life. You're eat up with anger and it is far from good. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, no? No one knows what that's all about, right? It's just me in the room, right? I'm the only one that from time to time has some bad anger show up, right? Okay, thank you, thank you. I'm just looking for a little confirmation here. Make sure I'm just not preaching to me alone this morning, right? So sometimes there'll be times in our life we'll discover an area that hasn't been surrendered and you'll know it because you'll get all angry and you can't get any control. If, if you've got an area like that in your life, I can just about tell you from experience, it's an area you have not surrendered to God because it's all about you and your comfort and your way. If you want to be able to have some good anger pop up in your life sometimes, if you want to be driven by the spirit of God in your life, it begins with a place of surrendered worship to God. And here's Jesus surrendered to go and worship at the Passover. He could have said, man, I ain't got time for that. I got stuff I got to do. I got to be about, you know, this other work. I got, I got stuff going on. All those people, they're not going to listen to me anyway. I, but he didn't. He went with them. A heart surrendered to God is a heart that begins to show patience. A heart surrendered to God shows some mercy from time to time. A heart surrendered to God has some understanding of others. A heart that's surrendered says, God, I'll wait on you in your timing. It's not about me. A heart surrendered is more passionate about God's glory than your own glory. This is where our story begins today. But I want to point out a second point before we go any further. It's important. Something that uh, is true here about Jesus and needs to be true of us. Here it is. Avoid getting caught up in petty anger. You know, life has enough stuff happen every day where it's easy to get caught up in some small, small anger, right? Some small stuff that leads to big anger. You know, I was just thinking about Jesus and um, this situation. You know, the Passover, yes, it was a celebration of how God had delivered his people from Egypt. And the way that he did it, he said, I want you to sacrifice a lamb. And I want you to apply the blood from that lamb to the door. And I want you to be inside the, the house of that door. And you apply it to the top and to the sides of that door. And when you are in the place where the blood of the lamb has been sacrificed, you will be safe you will be protected. The Passover was a huge picture and prophecy about Jesus, right? We know that. Can you imagine Jesus and friends 
and they're all going to Jerusalem and the Passover. I just imagine a conversation kind of like this, like, you know, Jesus is walking there and he says to him, hey, so tell me about this Passover celebration. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's this thing that we celebrate. It's, uh, it's from our past, our family heritage, you know, uh, God delivered us. Really? Well, tell me more about that. Yeah, they, uh, you know, they sacrificed the lamb. And they applied the blood to the door. And I can just imagine Jesus saying, oh, really? Tell me more. You know, can you imagine Jesus in that moment is like, really? Mm-hmm. And, and inside thinking, hello, it's me. I'm the one that is all about this. Hello. And Jesus is going anyway with them. And he could have easily said, come on, folks, don't you get this? It's not just about that. It's about me and what I'm going to do for you, who I am. But he didn't. In that moment, he just go into Jerusalem with them. He just joined them in the process. Their eyes hadn't been opened yet. They haven't seen it all yet. And Jesus could have gotten all caught up. Well, this really hurts my feelings that y'all don't get it. It's me. <laughs> you don't read that anywhere in Scripture. This is not fair. What an injustice. I can't believe you. You don't read that anywhere in Scripture. Jesus joins them going to Jerusalem and doesn't get caught up in me, myself, my hurt feelings, not going like I want. This isn't fair. That's where anger all, bad anger comes from, right? The guy cuts you off in traffic. Someone treats you wrong at the restaurant. Your husband doesn't do what you thought he should have done. Your wife doesn't do what you thought she should have done. Your kids... Don't clean up their room for the 500th time. All that kind of stuff. It can lead to some pretty dark places, right? Hello? Hello? Yeah, it's okay to say yes or hello or amen or whatever you want to do here. I need a little little response. It's a conversation here back and forth, right? Amen? Unsurrendered hearts get caught up in petty anger, but surrendered hearts are kind of done with all that. They put that stuff aside for bigger things more important things. And Jesus says, what's happening in Jerusalem is more important than my feelings here in this moment. I'm going on. It says in verse 14 that when Jesus arrives there, it says he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and he goes to the temple He goes to the place that's the center of all religious activity. He goes to the place that everyone has gathered for. He goes to the temple. And let me just help you understand the scene here a little bit. All of those from around the region and beyond have come to Jerusalem for this time. The city is just bursting with people. There are four to five times the number of people there in the city than there normally would be because they've all gathered for Passover. They've come from long distances. They need places to stay. They need food to eat. They need places to gather. They need a place to get their sacrifice. You can't just bring your own sacrifice from as far away as you came. So when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to buy your sacrifice and offer it there to God You're going to do your worship. People have gathered to bring sacrifices. People have gathered to to bring worship. People have gathered to pray. And the city is just packed. But something is not right. 
It should have been a time of sacred commitment and worship. It should have been a holy hush about the city. It should have been a spirit of reverence. It should have been people gathering and reconciling and repenting. It should have been a time when hurt feelings were laid down, when broken relationships were resolved and people were made right with God, where there was contrition and there was brokenness and then there was worship and there was celebration. That should have been what was going on inside the temple and inside the city. It should have been a revival like none other. That's what it should have been. But something dark, twisted, and sinister is happening. The hearts of the people are blind. And they are wrapped up in themselves. You have people in the temple who are the money exchangers. So you've come from a long way. You've been out of town, and the currency you use there doesn't match the currency they use here. And so you have to have your money exchanged into the currency. But the people there are wicked. And so instead of it being a help to those who have come to worship, they're taking advantage of those who have come to worship. And so they're charging them for exchanging their currency. And they're charging them a lot. But then they've also set up these guidelines about what kind of sacrifices are proper. So even those who might have brought their own sacrifices, they bring them in and it was common for those in the temple to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that won't do. If you want a sacrifice, please see one of our attendants over here. And then so they would go there and the Bible allows for those who were poor who could not afford a lamb to be able to purchase a dove to offer as their sacrifice. It's in the law. But what was happening was what should have cost even kind of in our day maybe even a nickel or dime was, was costing far more. It's kind of that feeling when you go to a sports event. You know what I'm talking about? And you get a hot dog and you think, this ought to be about 75 cents. How much, ma'am? Seven fifty? Are you kidding me? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Or you, you get that drink, you're, you're just parched. You know, like, can I please just get a bottle of water? Yes, sir, that'll be $7. What? And you seriously consider, consider just dehydrating instead because it just costs way too... It's crazy, you know? You know what I'm talking about. And that's what's happening inside the temple where there should have been a spirit of worship and help was a spirit of selfishness and greed. And those who came attempting to make things right with God were being cheated in the very place of their worship. Their exchange of money was being cheated. They're having to buy a sacrifice. They were being cheated for that. And they went away more frustrated than worshipful. They went away more disillusioned than desiring of greater worship of God. And what should have been revival was a place of just despising the day. If you were the worshiper, it was difficult. It was tainted. It was twisted. And the glory of God 
seen. It's into this situation that it says that Jesus walks in. There's not a hint of the aroma of praise. There's instead the aroma of greed and selfishness. And Jesus walks in knowing this is my father's house. This is a place where people ought to be sensing his presence. And this is not right. This is not what he planned. This shouldn't be. And in that moment, Jesus is experiencing some good anger. This is not the righteous plan that the Father had. This is not right that the glory of God is not being seen. This is not right that people are being cheated. This is not right that the sacrifice of me for their sins is not being displayed. And Jesus is having some good anger awakened in him. If you want to have some good anger awakened in you, we've pointed out it begins with surrender. It begins with putting away petty anger. But it also does this. It lets injustice awaken a godly passion. Have you ever been in a situation like what I've described that Jesus has walked into where you're with a group, you're out in public, you're with someone, you're with some friends, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you come upon a scene where you say, wait a minute, this is not right. This isn't glorifying to God. This is destructive to the gospel. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe you've seen it on the news, hello? Maybe you've seen it cruising the internet, and you say, wait a minute, this is not right. This is wrong. There's an injustice here. What you're experiencing in that moment is the Spirit of God speaking in you. He's he's awakening you. He's calling you to action. He's calling you to do something. And you're going to experience those in your life. You're going to have those moments where you say, this is not right. And you're not the first one to have ever experienced it, and neither was Jesus. The funny thing is that for most of the other folks in the Bible that it happened to, they normally encountered some injustice and the situation that was all wrong, and they went about handling it the wrong way. And then God spoke to them, they surrendered their lives, and they did it the right way. Let me give you a few examples. Moses. Moses sees a Hebrew brother being treated harshly, beaten, And he says, this is not right. My people should not be in slavery like this. What does Moses do? He acts on his bad anger to start with, and he goes and kills the man. And then he's forced off into the desert to live there. But then he repents, and he comes back, and God uses him to set an entire nation free. The story also happens with Jonah. It's not right what these people are doing. And Jonas is sent there to go preach the gospel, preach good news to them, preach judgment, but also good news. And Jonah refuses at first. He doesn't do the right thing first, but then he does. And God blesses. Peter is with Jesus in the garden. And the, the, the soldiers show up. 
And they're about to take Jesus. And Peter says, this is not right. This is not right. Something's wrong here. And Peter, in his bad anger, reaches over and grabs his sword and aims for one of the soldiers' heads. And instead of taking his head off, he just gets an ear. He does the wrong thing the first time. But it's not too long afterwards that you find Peter standing up in the book of Acts. And he's all of a sudden setting people free because he's speaking the gospel. You see, it usually happens that way in our lives. There's some injustice. There's something you experience. And your first reaction turns out to be the wrong one. You you really kind of blow it in the moment, right? But then God speaks to you. You calm down. You approach him. You surrender. And then you make the right decision. But it begins with a letting a godly passion awaken in us. The passage goes on. It says this next about Jesus. It says that when he had made a whip of cords. Mm. So Jesus comes up on this scene. The place is packed. There's, There's so much activity. People are in the temple doing what they are not supposed to be doing. And it doesn't say that Jesus lost it all of a sudden. Instead, it says this. And when he had made a whip of cords. So I just imagine Jesus walking and he sees it. And the good anger just starts swelling up. And Jesus does the right thing. He pulls back. And he takes a moment. I don't know how long it takes to make a whip of cords. It would take me a while. I've got to find the right stick. I've got to make sure it's the right length. I've got to make sure it'll work. I've got to find some leather straps. I've got to make sure they're cut. I've got to make sure they'll fit what I want. I've got to sit down. I've got to do some work. I've got to tie it. And I'm imagining all this time Jesus is praying and thinking through what he's about to do. He doesn't just lose it. He starts methodically approaching God, planning, and getting ready to execute. But he's preparing. He's taking his time. And he's letting this injustice lead toward a godly response. If you want to have good anger in your life, then what you've got to do is this. You've got to think and pray through a godly response. You might get in a situation, you're just ready to just explode. That's the time where you just stop. Maybe your mom told you you need to count to 10. If 10 doesn't work for you, you need to try 50. If 50 doesn't work for you, it's okay to get on up to 1,000. But you got to get somewhere where it's not all about you and your glory. It's all about God and his glory. Amen? And if that means i got to sit down, i got to think through this, i got to let those motorcycles go by, i got to wait, i got to plan, i got to pray, i got to say, God, what's the right response here? God, I don't like this conflict that's going on. I don't like what this person just said to me. And I feel like I'm just about to just go off on them. Well, then you need to calm down. You need to just take a moment. You just need to sit down for just a moment and pray and think through what you're going to do. Well, but you don't understand what that guy on the highway just, I don't care. You need to stop. You need to calm down. You need to pray and you need to plan. What is the right response? What is a godly response? What would God have me to do in this situation? Sometimes going off is the wrong thing. Hello? Sometimes 
saying anything at all is the wrong thing. Sometimes saying something is the right thing, but you better make sure your actions, your motivations, and your words are all in line with what God would have you say and do. So you just calm down in that moment. Just take a moment. You just pull away. Seek the Lord. Seek some counsel. Ask someone to pray with you, for you. You just calm down. This show's not about you. It's about God's glory. And you better stop and ask him. When you're getting all up in yourself, you better just stop and make sure what you're doing is going to be a godly response. You don't want to have to regret what you've said. And you don't want to have to destroy what God is doing. If he lit the fuse, he's got a purpose. But you need to think through. Now, wait a minute. Would it glorify God the most for me to say something now? Or maybe I should forgive. Maybe that's the action he's got for me. Maybe this is the time I need to show some mercy. Maybe this is the time I do need to speak truth. Maybe this is the time I need to pull back and pray. Maybe this is the time that God's working in my life and I need to to surrender my will. I need to give up what I want so I can do what he wants. You've got to think through the right godly response. It might mean that you've had this conflict with this person. It's gone on for weeks and months. And, and the next time you see him, you're just ready to just explode on him. But in that moment, you say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And it might be that he says to you, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them for a week, every day. And when you get to the end of that time, then I'll tell you what to do next. And what he says to you, you do that thing. Watch what happens next. Jesus makes the whip. It says in verse 15, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Woo. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you just like to kind of go back in time and just kind of like just be a fly on the wall and watch that for just a moment? I wouldn't want to be one of those in that moment. I'd want to just kind of watch from a distance and watch Jesus in action. Following the good anger that God had put in him. He's doing what his father had called him to do. You might think, well, man, where did he get the authority to do that? I'll tell you where he got the authority. It's his father's house. He can do what he wants in his father's house. It's his house, not their house. And I don't want you coming to my house and doing your thing. If you come to my house, you do my thing. Hello? And Jesus is saying, look, you folks got it all wrong. You, you, you are totally destroying the glory of my Father. You are misrepresenting Him. You are leading people astray. You are causing people to be bitter. You are the ones destroying His glory in this place. Get out! I don't have time for you anymore. I've got work to do here. And I'm not going to have you misrepresenting my father. 
And so Jesus methodically just removes them from the temple. And the scripture just played that out for us. Took out the sheep. Took out the oxen. Poured out the money. Overturned the tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, take these things away. Jesus was acting on the anger that God had ignited in him. If you want to have good anger, he's going to ignite that in you. But here's what you must do. Obey what God has awakened in your heart. Here's what often happens. Believers, we come together at a time like this. And God speaks. He gives you something. He tells you something. And you know it's him because he's talking to you about stuff that nobody else would know, right? And he's being very clear about a step you need to take. About something you need to repent of. About something you need to do. About some relationship you need to reconcile. And he's very specific with you. And what he intends in that moment is for you to say, yes, Father, I will. He doesn't light the spark without an intention of our follow-through. If he lights it, the situation is ready, and it is time to obey. I'm not an auto mechanic. Some of you guys are. And you'll know this better than me. But the way an engine is assembled is this spark plug is placed in the piston. And it moves at a pace and a rhythm and a timing so that when the spark goes off, the area that the spark hits is ready with the fuel and oxygen necessary. The moment has been made, the spark has been applied, and it is time right then to act. It's not time to wait. It's not the time to say, well, I'm going to think about this a little longer. No, if God puts it in your heart and you find the response that he wants you to, to have, then you do it. You act on it then. You obey what he has awakened You act on the spark that's been placed. And the timing is important. If your engine is not running at a proper function, the spark will not hit the propellant at the right time and there won't be a start. Your engine won't work. It's why we read in Hebrews 13, exhort one another daily... While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Look, if you put it off, sin will come in and deceive you and make you think your choice is the right choice. And you let it, you let it go on long enough, you will be completely blinded. And someone will say to you, do you know this is what God says? And you will say just the opposite. You'll call wrong, right, and right, wrong. You'll call black, white, and white, black. You'll totally miss it because you have refused 
to do the thing God has asked you to do. When he puts the spark, it's time to obey. It's time to do what he's called you to do. This is what we find Jesus doing here. What's fascinating to me is the last verse we're going to look at today. Verse 17. It says, then the disciples who were watching. (laughs) Jesus is in there taking care of business. Jesus is in there cleaning house. Jesus is doing what he's been let to do. Jesus is responding to what God has led. And the disciples are all like. And I just imagine they're just like terrified in this moment. Like, oh my God, we're about to all be killed. Can you please? Oh, we got to. They're watching all of this. And here's what the scripture says that they say. That the disciples remembered all of a sudden. They remembered something written in the Psalms. They remembered these words. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And they're watching Jesus and they say, Do you see that passion? Do you see what is happening here? He is burning with passion for God. He's burning with passion for his glory. He's not all about him. He's about his father's business. Man, look at him. He is so passionate for God's glory. He's he's taking all them out of here so the glory of the temple, the glory of the sacrifices can be seen for what they really are. He has. And it says, Zeal for your house, for your place, for the place where your glory was meant to dwell. It has eaten me up. It has consumed me. It's all that I'm about. It's all that I am. It's my waking, it's my sleeping thoughts. It's, it's all in me. I'm consumed with it. And this is what they look and they see Jesus and say, man, there is, look at him. He is consumed for people to see his father's glory. It's eating him up. When people look at your life today, what would they say consumes you? Would they say, man, that guy, he is eat up with his business. That's all he talks about. Making his money, doing his thing. That's just all you see on social media. Boy, he's just eating up with it. He is consumed with that. What would they say about you? What would someone else look back and say, man, they are just consumed with themselves. That's all you see, them talking about themselves. It's all about them. You try to offer another opinion to them, try to offer another idea to them, try to get them involved in something. No, 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 it's all about me. Or they're just consumed with their fear. They're just consumed with their guilt. They're just consumed with their pleasure. When they looked at Jesus in this moment, they said, he, he is consumed with the Father's house. That's all he thinks about. His glory. Man, what a call for us. What a challenge. What consumes you? Would anybody look at you and say, man, they are consumed with Jesus Christ. 
They are consumed with what he's done for them. They are consumed. That's all they talk about. And they want to talk about scripture. They want to talk about how to live it out. They want to talk about church. They want to talk about how to make a difference in people's lives. They're just consumed with that. You know, that's really the only thing worth living for is his glory. Amen? That's our last point today is this. Be consumed with a passion for God's glory. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Mike. If you haven't met Mike Dikovitsky yet, you need to. You just did. There's no glory in living for yourself. Oh, there is, but boy, is it short-lived. You, that glory that you live for yourself, it's going to be all wrapped up in your pleasure and your guilt and your shame, but also your anger, your lack of peace, your bitterness, all the things you're mad about, other things, everybody else in your life, you're upset with them, but they did this, they did this, they didn't do this, because you're all wrapped up in yourself. You're living for your own glory, but there's a glory that's bigger than that. There's a glory that began before the world was ever created, and it, and it began in God himself. It was a glory that was filled with great wonder and righteousness and holiness, brighter than glorious than man had ever comprehended before. And so God creates man, and he creates him that he might even know his glory. Man rebels in his sin, refuses to follow, refuses to walk in that, and God provides a way that man might once again know his glory. And he sends his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus takes upon himself all of our shame, all of our guilt. He takes on the the condemnation we deserve so that we might have the justification and glory that he deserves. That is what our lives ought to be wrapped around. God's glory. So that what you do in every waking moment of your life, you ask the question, will this glorify God? Will this cause someone else to see the glory of God? What's going to bring the glory of God to bear in this situation? What is going to cause him to be glorified? This is what you have to live with if you want to get to the place where you experience a passion, a desire, uh, something that just compels you. I've got to do this. I've got to walk with him. I've got to get to church. I've got to serve. I've got to do this. Everything else I do in my life, I do so that I might glorify God. That's what he's called us to. There's coming a day when the glory of Jesus will be fully and finally revealed. A day when this glass we look through darkly now will be removed and we'll see him for who he is. And in that day, you will hear the angels and you will hear the redeemed saying to him, be glory forever and ever. To him be glory forever and ever. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And on and on and on. His glory. That is what you and I have been called to. So we wrap it up today. I've got a question for you. What's God igniting in you today? My guess is And it's really not a guess, because I know by faith this is what he's doing right here. We've just looked at his word. His word is alive, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's piercing down right now to places in your own life, and he's speaking to you. And he's, he's challenging you in some areas. He's calling you in some areas to glorify him. 
to repent of some sin that's keeping you from experiencing His glory. To surrender your heart because you're not living in His glory. To walk away from where you've been because you're missing out on His glory. And He's calling you to surrender. Lay it down. Give it to Him. Trust Him. And do what He's called you to do. For some of you, it's, it's real big picture. It's life calling. There's this element in your life where you know God's calling you to something and you've wrestled with it. And now it's time to say, okay, God, I surrender. For some of you, it's a, it's a relationship that you know you've got to address. That you know you've got to take the step in to forgive and to reconcile. And you've refused. But now it's the time to respond. Whatever God is saying to you today, I'm asking you. The Spirit is asking you. Will you do what he's called you to do? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, there is nothing more important than your glory. And we desire for it to be seen here, to be known here, in this place, even this morning. So we're asking you to reveal yourself, Father. Show us your glory. And Father, in our lives individually, I know that you, you long for your glory to be experienced by us more than we could ever want it to be desired. And you ask us today to surrender. And so we do that. We surrender our will. We surrender ourselves. We surrender all the the selfish, petty things that we've been angry about. And we choose to live for your glory. I thank you, Father, that your spirit here is in this place. That you're changing lives. That you're showing yourself. May we as your people be ready to respond. We worship you. We sing. We surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.